Hello, my name is Kate Chesterman. I'm a GP in South Norfolk, and I also co-host the GP Notebook Education Study Groups. Welcome to GP Notebook Podcasts, where we present bite-sized topics aimed at all those working in primary care. You can find us on all major podcast channels, including Spotify, Apple, and Google. You can follow us on Twitter, at GP Notebook, or you can follow me personally, at Chesterman Kate, for more information about our new podcasts and study groups as they become available. Please do visit gpnotebookpodcast.com for show notes, references and resources for all our podcasts. Now today I'm going to be discussing some of the ways we can support young people with mental health concerns. I'm probably not alone in feeling that I'm seeing an increasing number of young people with anxiety and depression. And while I don't dislike these consultations at all, I have this background concern throughout the consultation of what am I going to be able to offer this young person and how can I support them? I often find that even if the young person meets the threshold for being accepted by the mental health service, there are often long waits to be seen and the majority of NHS counselling services are sadly also overrun. And this can be difficult when that young person and their family need help and support now. So I was delighted to be introduced recently to Dr. Dave Ledwood, who joins me today. Dave is a GP in Norfolk who has always been interested in mental health. He's currently undertaking a postgraduate diploma in counselling and psychotherapy at the University of East London. A few years ago, Dave started a fascinating project giving talks for parents who had children in distress. And then during COVID, he was asked to produce a video of this talk so that it could go online. The video has been published on the Just One Norfolk website, which is a website developed locally to myself and Dave that is dedicated to health advice and support for children. And I'll put a link to this video in the show notes for this podcast. Now, to me, this video was an important reminder that often the best people to be able to help that young person are the ones that are sat next to them in the consultation, the ones that have taken the time and care to bring their child to see you and seek help. And when parents are saying, we can't cope and we don't know what to do anymore, then maybe giving them the tools to support their child might be just what that young person needs. So Dave has very kindly agreed to join me today to discuss some of his top tips for parents and some strategies for professionals such as ourselves who are caring for young people in distress. So welcome, Dave. Thank you. So I wondered if you would mind just starting by telling us a little bit about this amazing project of of giving talks to parents. So how did that come about? And is it something that you found a positive experience? Yes. So there's um, sort of personal and professional uh, reasons why I started. Um, The personal reasons were that I I realised that I was much better with um, patients and children in the surgery than I was with my own children now. Um, and I recognised that that was because I had a strong emotional reaction with my own children um, and would then try and solve my children's emotional difficulties and, and, and get rid of them and make them better. Um, and I found that was very ineffective. Um, and I realised then that the parents of these children who come to see me must also have a strong emotional reaction to their children's distress and also, our colleagues would are also when I'm speaking to colleagues, they also have emotional difficulties when they when they see mental health on their on their list, um, and so I felt it was important to try and um, 
educate people on the fact that we have to recognize our own feelings and that the parents recognize their feelings before we um, engage in trying to help our loved ones. Um, a bit like the analogy of taking the oxygen mask from the airplane first before you attend to somebody else. Um, personally, what happened with me was that my daughter um, was having difficulties at school when she was about seven or eight. And um, she, and I would I would try and sort of advise her what to say, what to do, don't do this, don't do that. And, and she would just carry on crying and being distressed. And one day I came back after a very busy day and she was really upset and I was just on my own with her and I was exhausted. And so I just, rather than engage in, 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 in talking to her, I just listened to her and, and just felt for her and just said, oh gosh, that sounds so difficult and I'm so sorry that's happening. And, and just by me acknowledging, listening, understanding, she just stopped crying and then changed the subject and we went, we wanted to play with, you know, play in the garden or something. So I just thought, blimey, you know, maybe this, maybe this is simpler than I think. And then, um, professionally, um, obviously we all know the enormously long waits, but, you know, so I've had children who were off school for up to a year, the parents were coming in highly distressed. Um, and so I just thought, you know, I really must try and teach these parents something because that's the, that's the only people that the children have got while they're off, um, off school. Um, and so I started talks, which were really positive and well-received, um, partly the content of the talk, I hope. Um, but I think largely because the parents were meeting each other and having mutual support. Um, but in COVID that stopped obviously. So, um, I did it online and then did a little video. So that's how it all came about. That's fantastic. I mean, thank you for sharing your personal experience as well as to why these things work. And I think it's lovely, as you say, that the parents were getting to do this with other parents as well. I think that shared experience is often really yeah, valuable. That's right. Yeah, because the parents are often judging themselves and you know, other people would be doing it better. I'm not a good parent, which is an emotional reaction to the problem, isn't it? And Absolutely. And coming back to that emotional problem and our emotional response to it, which is so strong, isn't it, with yeah. our own children? Yeah. So I presume it can be helpful for families to to try and understand emotions a little bit better and maybe understand why their young person has certain thought processes. Yeah. And I wondered if you'd be able to explain a little bit about the language you use yeah. when explaining emotions to patients, or yeah. sorry, to parents. So the, the first thing I try and get across is um, this idea that there's no such thing as a wrong emotion, um, which is, is quite a hard thing for some people to sort of hear and take in. But that is what I'm saying. There is no such thing as a wrong emotion. Um, the emotions are honest messengers and they're deeply trying to help us. They have our interest at heart. Um, the emotion may arise from a wrong interpretation um, or, it may, and, or it may produce a wrong behavior. So if I'm angry, it's not appropriate for me to hit somebody. But the anger that I'm feeling is okay. It is appropriate to feel that. And um, I may interpret um, a shadow as a, a dangerous person coming to attack me and that may produce anxiety and that interpretation may be wrong, but the anxiety I feel is correct. So we mustn't blame or um, see our emotions as foes. We must see our emotion as friends. And, and so our whole approach to the emotion then changes. Um, I sort of also try and explain that, you know, we need all emotions to have our rich human experience. Um, there's no happiness without sadness and there's no fear without calm. Um, there's no such thing as a good emotion and there's no such thing as a bad emotion. Emotions are just emotions. Um, 
in the in the Western world, we do tend to see emotions as good, like happiness is good, sadness is bad, and and if you imagine that, then it produces a sort of sore shape of of emotions. Um, and the reason sores are effective as tools is because there is the dip as well as the pointy bit. So we need both in order to function. Um, the Eastern philosophy is very different. It's just one big, long emotional journey. You know, it, it, they see it as a straight line as opposed to up and down, which is a bit more helpful. Um, and emotions are a bit like the sea. You know, we, we, we're sort of on a sea of experiences and sometimes the sea's calm, sometimes the sea's rough, but it is always changing. They never, they're never permanent. Um, so it's, I kind of just explain that all emotions are necessary. All emotions are, you know, trying their best and, and to try and get comfortable feeling the emotion as opposed to solving the emotion and not seeing it as a problem, if that makes sense. Absolutely. I can imagine if we try and solve emotions, then that's probably not a very helpful no. way forward. Yeah. As you say, they're, they're things to be felt, aren't they? Yeah, and expressed, actually. So the, another analogy I give is is laughter, you know. So I, I'm a pretty funny guy. But um, if I said something funny to you, um, you might laugh. You, you probably wouldn't. But um, you pretty much know that you're not going to laugh all day and all week. You know that, you know, you're going to express it and it'll calm down again. Um, whereas when you're in a church and it's a funeral and somebody starts to make you giggle and you try and suppress that, that is the most difficult thing. And you know, if only, you know, and you you never wanted to laugh so much because you're trying to suppress something that is just wanting to be expressed. So, so you would need to allow it out to yeah. allow that emotion then yeah. to ride its course exactly. and and to come yeah. down the other side of that that sore again. Yeah, to be brave enough to to act, you know accept it in a sense, you know. Um, yeah, which comes on to management, I suppose. Yes, absolutely. That was going to be my next question. So I, I guess having that understanding of where that emotion comes from and, and maybe not why you're feeling that way, but but accepting that emotion for what it yeah. is, yeah. how can we then try and manage it so it doesn't escalate and become unhelpful and yeah. distressing? And I think that is like, that's when we start to run into problems at that point, when we see I shouldn't be feeling this way. I don't want to feel this way. I need to control this. I need to get rid of it. I need to ignore it. I need to have some positive thinking. And um, and even the, sort of the Western world and medicine tells us that we shouldn't be feeling this. And it's this pathology even. It's like dis-ease to feel certain emotions, which I think is extremely unhelpful uh, in the way we think about them. And it's a short answer is um, to accept them. Um, but that again is quite difficult for our brains to hear because it's, um, you know, I think people quickly jump to the idea that we have to resign ourselves to them and it's not the same. So it's not resignation, oh, I'm feeling anxious and I will always feel anxious and there's nothing I can do about it. It's not that. It's just accepting that my reality at this moment is these sensations in my body. And if you think about the sensations and actually really hone in on what does it feel like to feel this, you know, you, it's really, you know, it's very non-threatening, actually. It's, t it's unpleasant. Um, anxiety, for example, is an unpleasant emotion, but it's tolerable in the moment. You know, where is it? Is, is it my hand? Is it in my arms? Is it in my, it's probably my chest or my stomach? I'm feeling it a bit now in this podcast, you know. But if I actually sort of go into it as opposed to trying to control it, it's kind of, you know, it's like a heaviness or a tightness or, and people will have different descriptions, but, um, it's, it's just about accepting the feeling um, and not resisting it. And I, I do give parents many different metaphors for this idea of acceptance to try and just nail it down a bit. And um, so one of them is being stuck in the mud. 
And if you imagine try, if you're stuck in the mud and you try to fight against it, the, the more you fight, the deeper you get. Um, there's um, the postman analogy. It's like a postman is there to deliver a message and he has to get his little signature. And then if you don't sign it, he's, he's a, he won't go away. So if initially he knocks very lightly on the door, you just have a little feeling. And then if you don't answer the door, he'll just keep knocking and get louder and louder and louder. But he will he will deliver his message. So you may as well just open the door initially and just accept that's how you're feeling. Um, there's lots of sort of Eastern Eastern ideas about be like water from Taoism. And, um, you know, there's strength in weakness. If you imagine the Grand Canyon water's just gone through that and sort of, you know, sort of softness has, has, has worn down hardness. Um, babies, when they're born, are soft and supple. And when we when we die, we're hard and rigid. Um, and the same with plants and bamboo; it blows in the wind. So the idea is that um, softness and yielding are companions of life, and hardness and rigidity are the companions of death. So to try and soften yourself towards it, um, there's um, many songs like "and Let It Be" by the Beatles. When you find yourself in times of trouble, let it be. Um, and Jesse J, I don't know whether he. Um, it's okay not to be okay, you know, just these, these ideas. And with resistance, if you imagine your, a hook is in your arm, if you try and pull against the hook, it just gets deeper. Yeah. And the other things are, I, I say about um, swimming against the current, if you fall into a river and, and you try and swim against the current, you exhaust yourself, whereas if you just let the current take you and you will get to a place of safety. Um, another one I like is, because uh, my wife just got on the plane today actually, and um, she got a fear of flying. and. I also find myself when the plane's taken off, gripping the the seats of the of the aeroplane, and I think, what the hell on earth am I doing? Like, what <laughs> what what purpose does this serve? There is really no point in resisting this, and it was not going to help the situation. So it's again, it's just about letting go, softening, um, you know, being brave enough to feel. Really, that that's kind of it. And and I love these metaphors. I think they're a really good way of getting parents and and probably young people as well to understand their emotions. Yeah. And, yeah. And it's interesting that you say, as you say, they're in Beatles songs, they're in uh, uh, wisdom. wisdom that's that's years ago. This is not necessarily new things, but no. it's that we need reminding of maybe in Western culture. Yeah, yeah, definitely. And I think it's also very interesting that you're saying these are emotions that are for the moment. And I expect that for some people, why it can be distressing is because they have that belief that they're going to carry on feeling like that. Yeah, yeah. And rather than just accepting this is how they feel right now and that yeah. things will improve. Yeah. That's right. I think that's when the, 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 the idea of the difference between a problem and a feeling. Yeah. So emotions are feelings to be felt and, and not problems to be solved um, because the way our brain works is, well, I suppose go, going back a little bit, like why do we have to accept it? How does it help? Um, by accepting it, essentially you calm down your emotional brain. So you switch it off just by accepting it. So you're telling your emotional brain it's okay. You know, mm -hmm. um, and you know, our rational brain can then be switched on um, and and then that that sort of things with perspective and logic and truth and and and, and things and um, so when when we see a, the the thing is when we see a, an emotion as a problem we use our sort of problem solving brain which is incredibly helpful for society and has produced many many you know wonderful inventions but um, what happens when we see a problem is we use past experience why has this happened um, you know what's gone wrong. And then we sort of get an answer to that and then um, design an outcome or, or, you know, an intervention that will give a positive outcome. And then, and, you know, if this doesn't happen, what will happen then? So if, if I, 
do you know say my emotion of anxiety is a problem why am i anxious i ask my anxious brain why i'm anxious it will come up with an anxious answer and what the prediction well i can't i can't live like this i can't cope with this i can't so so actually that's why acceptance is helpful because you shut out the need to solve essentially um and the other reason acceptance is helpful or, or feeling the feeling is because the um, the emotional feelings that we have when you actually think about them so if we think about anxiety and then i described how i felt my anxiety was and but if you ask me um how does excitement feel and people come up with almost exactly the same words so the feeling of excitement you know physically the experience of it is very similar to the feeling of anxiety um, and it all depends on the context where, where that happens and so by accepting what's happening to you in this moment you remove the context so um just to elaborate on that so if i if i sort of like just um, brush past my child and sort of and then sort of knock knock my child by accident if the child turns around and sees me smiling they'll know that was an accident or you know i was i was a bit playful and and that sensation that they feel will be interpreted in the context that we're just having a good time whereas if i, I brush past and and you know not the child and they see me angry and they look at my face they're, 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 they'll start crying because they their interpretation of those same physical sensations will be very different so you know you remove the context by coming into the feeling in that moment and in just experiencing what you're feeling if that makes sense yeah no that's really helpful and you mentioned the problems with problem solving and, and I think as parents it's probably something we've all tried to do when our children are emotional and I imagine that's a, a common trap for parents to fall into. Yes. Are there other traps that are easy to fall into, things that maybe we do out of love and because we think it's the best for our children but actually maybe aren't so helpful yeah. for them? Yeah, so there's a number of traps um, and I've you know, fallen into all of them. Yeah, I'm sure um, we have. So the, one of them is um, we question. So if someone is depressed... Or, or anxious, we sort of say, why? why? What's the problem? Why are you like that? Um, and of course, we know why people are doing that because we want to know the answer so we can solve the problem. Um, the, the problem with that is that um, depressed patients especially ruminate why, why, why all the time. And um, and if you asked a depressed Google, why am I depressed? The answer would be because there's something wrong with you, because no one likes you. It's, you know, there's something defective with you. So that question, questioning the feeling, um, just is, is unhelping and leads the person to feel even worse and, and sort of makes them think that there definitely must be something wrong with me. Um, sometimes we try and rationalize with children, you know, so if an example of that would be if the child falls over and gets hurt and, and I say, oh, don't worry about it, you know, and there's, there's a woman down, the girl down the road, she's lost her leg, you know, it's not that bad, you know, you kind of predict that's not really going to help. But we do sometimes say to people, don't we, you know, it's not that bad, you know, and yeah. other people are worse off trying to help, trying to sort of give them some positive take on it. But it just doesn't help. And it makes them feel guilty for feeling that way. So rationalization doesn't help. Um, offering solutions, again, is wanting to help. So we say, oh, when I felt like that, I did this. Or why didn't you make a cake? Or why didn't you go for a bike ride? And those things may be helpful and, and may be good advice, but... You know, actually, when you've got an emotional difficulty, you don't really want that. And, and you kind of know that that would help actually deep down. Um, but there's a reason you're not doing it because you're so distressed. So it's about sort of just letting the person be in, in the space they're at at that moment and trying to resist the temptation to, to, to offer a solution, which may be a valid solution. But um, other things we do, we, we sometimes get angry with them because we feel distressed when we see our child distressed. And so 
and, and it's really hard to tolerate our own distress. And so we want to get rid of it. And one way to get rid of it is to get rid of theirs. And so we sort of, you know, you can't, oh, you can't keep behaving like this. And, and then, you know, you've got to book your ideas up and you know, it's affecting all of us, don't you? And um, so we do that, which isn't helpful. We sometimes avoid it. So rather than actually, we know our child's upset, but we don't want to go there again because we didn't work last time. So we just pretend it's not happening. And they can see that, and that's deeply hurtful to a child to see that you, you know, that you're not approaching them when they're distressed. Almost, you know, like it's not acceptable for you to feel that, which is devastating. I think. Yeah. Um, we also over overprotection sometimes, so we sort of do things for them. You know, oh, don't do that. You know, you've got an anxiety problem. You don't. You go out. You don't need to do that. I'll do it for you. Which again is because you love them. But it kind of one one of the things that has been shown to improve mental health is autonomy, self direction, and um, self motivation. And so you, if you remove that, you're kind of removing a lot of what makes us feel good about ourselves. So it's kind of resist that as well. Yeah. Um, so as you say, a lot of these kind of responses yeah. can result in that that person feeling. Worse, can yeah. feeling guilty about how they're yeah. feeling or bad for how they're feeling yeah. when, when actually what we're trying to teach them to do is accept how exactly. they're feeling. To contain it, contain the emotion, you know. Yeah, rather than riding it. Yeah, yeah, that's right. Okay, that's really helpful. So I guess knowing and being able to advise parents what not to say and mm. do, are there some top tips on things that we can be um, it can be asking them to do, suggesting that they do with their children to try and help them? Yeah, I think that. So the, I think the main thing is not if you imagine infants. When infants are just they're born, they've got all these emotions riding around, and and um, we instinctively just know to um, pick them up. And you know what what happens in perfect parenting is that that child sort of um, dissipates his emotional distress to the mother usually, and the mother can contain that and then hand it back in a, in a, in a soothe smaller or calmer form, and so the child learns self-regulation because the mother's regulating the emotions for the child and that's all pre-verbal so there's no words involved and so actually you know Ronan Keating said you say it best when you say nothing at all so actually if if, if in doubt don't say anything just just it's more to be with the person um but I think phrases like you know I'm here to listen um you know um it's um either answer I can do to help um, you have the right to feel this way. I think this is really important to say. Um, I don't know. I can't imagine what you're going through, but I'm here to listen. Um, just, just those sort of things, really. But on the whole, it's more um, showing them that you're willing to be in their presence. You know, and you know, with with small children, do you, that you are overjoyed to be in their presence. You know, everything is acceptable. But in our in the Western world, what we tend to do is, you know, we have, we're advised to have timeouts and don't go to the baby when it's crying. Even that we told these things, but actually, it's almost like a telling people when when you're at your most distressed, I will be the least available. You know, and actually, so we have to be brave enough to to, to tolerate and seeing our loved one distressed and 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 feeling confident that it's okay to feel that way. It's okay not to like it. You know, but it really is okay and safe to have those feelings in that moment, you know. And so being there for them being and there. just saying that it's okay to yeah. feel like this yeah. and yeah. and allowing them to feel like yes. that. Allowing it, yeah. And as you say, that that must be quite difficult for parents. And yeah. personally speaking, as a parent, I know it is. It, yeah. it does cause that emotional distress. So I guess talking to the parents about looking after themselves. That's right. Is really important. So everything we've been saying here is 
for the parents as well to know that they are okay to have their emotional distress and to feel their emotions and, and not to try and you know not beat themselves up and become very self-critical just to you know yeah be compassionate towards themselves because compassion also calms the emotional brain down yeah. you know it's, it's super helpful so you really need to yeah we really need to stop criticizing ourselves and having a lot being of real to yeah. ourselves and our young people yeah yeah feeling what we're feeling and, and, and being open to that and not, not feeling that we shouldn't be this way, we should be a different way. It's like then probably Instagram and social media probably fuels all that idea, doesn't it? That, exactly, it does. Yeah. 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 And I think one of the most frightening things for parents um, must be when their young person is talking about or, or having thoughts about harming themselves. Mm. I think that real crisis situation must be very different, um, difficult. Do you have any tips for what parents can do in that situation? I think just um, not being afraid of it, because again, it's just another emotion being expressed in a, you know, I, I can't bet this so much that I actually want to get away. It's escape, isn't it? I want to escape the ultimate escape. And um, knowing just, just how very painful, what a painful position for that person to be in. And, um, and just to have compassion for that person. And for the parent, just, just to, you know, just to allow the, the person to express themselves and just to be there and similar sort of things, you know, you have the right to feel that way. Is there anything I can do to help? Which may be getting a doctor's appointment or, you know, showing that it matters to you that 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 they're feeling that way and that, you know, you want to try and help them. And but for you to, to try and keep it as simple for the parents, it's mainly just about being there, being available, not shying away from it, but not being afraid of it either, you know. Because they're just saying they're distressed, essentially. So, yeah. The extreme end of distress, yeah. isn't it? And as you say, being there until they feel safe again. and Yeah, that's right. Important. Yeah. Okay. So we've talked a lot about supporting and advising families, which, which as we said, I think is hugely important. Mm. I think parents and families are probably a very valuable and underused resource. So I'm sure I've been guilty when, when parents have come saying they don't know what to do of, of looking elsewhere for solutions rather yeah. than empowering them to help. But... I wonder if you'd mind just spending a few minutes um, talking a little bit about some of your strategies for, for us as professionals to use yeah. when we've got those families, those young people in front of us. So the way I sort of um, deal with it, the first bit is is all the, the um, sort of listening, acknowledging, understanding, understanding the parents. So just really saying how very difficult for you and this must be so difficult for you. And, and at, at, when you do that, you know, parents will just start crying. You know, they will express it and... and um, and, and and encouraging them and saying you're the best person for the job. You, you know you 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 were born for this or they were born for this. You know like, and and then but but once I've done that bit, which actually is hugely helpful and gets the child and hopefully the parent into what's called a window of tolerance. Have you heard of the window of tolerance? Where so window of tolerance is where we are rational, our emotional brain is on, and we can think clearly. When we get distressed, um, we can go into what's called hyper arousal, which is sort of like the fight and flight response. And so we get anxious and heart racing and our breathing goes shallow. Um, or we can get hypo aroused when, when you actually sort of freeze, the freeze response and sort of dissociation, feeling that you're a bit distant from yourself and, um, and, and lethargic and lacking motivation. And, 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 and so those both emotional brain states. And so if you calm the emotional brain down, you get into what's called the window of tolerance. When they're there, then you can suggest things and remind them of things. And the two things that I say to the people to try and keep it as simple as possible, I talk about thoughts and I talk about behaviors. And so I, I just remind them that um, when 
you feel certain types of emotions, you your thinking pattern changes. So when and 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 that's evolutionary served as well. So when I'm feeling anxious and fearful, it's I mean the people who had those emotions um, tended tend to over predict risk um, and underestimate their ability to cope. And so if I was in a cave and there's a village who's attacking me, it's probably quite good that I overestimate the risk of that village attacking me so that I will stay up all night, not sleep, um, and, and, and be, be ready for their attack. Um, and, and, and I underestimate my ability to cope, you know, and so, 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 and, and when, when you're depressed, you tend to sort of, um, have negative memories, negative interpretations, negative predictions. Um, so the point is, is a strong emotion. And produces unhelpful, sort of childlike, chimp-like, primitive type thinking, and it's a trap we we well, we all fall into every time. But if I sort of try and point out to the the child and the mother or the father that you know when I feel like this, when I feel like this, I always tend to think like that. I oh, that's the way I think. I must not don't take my thoughts too seriously if I have strong emotion around. You know, so and, and and always coming back to that, just to remind them, you know, there's lots and lots of CBT sort of sort um, mistakes, you know, like catastrophic thinking, black and white thinking, all or nothing thinking, magnification. But so so that's the main thing. Like when you feel like that, you will think like that. You will have that type of ab- abnormal thinking. So that's number one. And the other thing is when you ask them, you know, people who are depressed, for example, you know. Have you, you know, what, what's hap- what, what are you doing in your life at the moment? You, what, what, when, when life's going well, what do you normally do? Oh, I play football, I see my friends, I go shopping. And what are you doing now? Nothing. I, I just haven't got the energy to do anything. So it's kind of, and you know, showing them that what, what keeps this emotion going, that the fuel to the fire of the emotion is inactivity, avoidance, or, or behavior changes. So I, I sort of try and point that out to actually, it all feeds itself. So, um, one thing you can do, you can't change your thinking, but you can certainly change your behavior and encourage people to try and say to themselves, what would I be doing today if I was well? If I was my best self, what would I be doing today? And that might, you know, you, you might go for a five mile run every few days and you might not want to do that. But if you can just, maybe a, maybe a sort of like a five minute walk, maybe I can just get out of bed. You know, just do something that just gives you a sense of achievement or a sense of closeness to other people um, or a sense of enjoyment. Things that would normally give you those those feelings. Try and just try and just force yourself to do those things um, in, in, in a compassionate, gentle way, not in a forcing way. But um, yeah, that can make a huge difference very quickly, behavior changes. That's really helpful. And I, I love that idea of just that, that listening and the empathy first so, so that in that position to be able to then accept suggestions yeah. that, that you're making and and then two really good suggestions of things we could try. So yeah. thank you. That's that's really helpful. And Dave, thank you again so much for, for joining me. And um, and thank you everyone for lift and um, for listening. I hope that you too have found this helpful. Please do feel free to get in touch via social media or email me at kchesterman at gpnotebook.com if you have any questions, comments or ideas for future topics.